Welcome to PMCC Speak, the language of executives. I'm Saskia Epstein, Senior Vice President of Client and Community Relations for PNC Bank in New England, alongside my co-host, Carolyn Jones, Market President and Publisher of the Boston Business Journal. Thanks, Saskia. It's great to be with you on PNC Speak. Each podcast features local executives talking about relevant and timely business topics. This knowledge sharing platform showcases leaders with forward thinking approaches that disrupt the status quo and cause us to think differently. We are here today with Dr. Aisha Francis, President and CEO of Franklin Cummings Tech. Welcome. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. Aisha, it is great to have you here today, and we really look forward to learning more about you and your leadership journey today. But I thought as we started out, why don't we help our listeners get to know a little bit about Franklin Cummings Tech and its mission? Absolutely. It would be my pleasure to share more about the college. In the shortest sense, our mission is very clear. It is to deliver transformative technical and trade education that leads to economic advancement. And we have an amazingly interesting history as a college that really dates back to Benjamin Franklin's will and a forethought that he had to leave funds to the city of his birth and uh, to do so for a specific purpose, which is to invest in people's ability to pursue education and specifically trade education. And the second purpose was to invest in people's ability to start their own businesses. And he was very specific in those dual purposes because he shared that it wasn't so much as he reflected on his life and his success that his printmaking trade secured his life economically. It was more so the fact that he was a business owner and an entrepreneur. So he wanted both opportunities to be available for citizens of Boston. And those are our roots. And we are very intentional about really hewing to those roots in a way that is really contextualized for today. And so happy to talk more about that as we get into the conversation. Thanks so much for the history. Uh, The college is such an asset and so important in our community. I'd love to hear more about your journey. You joined the organization in 2018 and then became president and CEO in July of 2021. Tell us about the path to your current role and some of the key milestones and challenges along the way. I am really proud of two things in my background. One is that I'm a daughter of an immigrant and a daughter of someone with very deep history in Nashville, Tennessee. So I'm a daughter of uh, my father's Dominican. My mother is a native of Nashville, as am I. And I think that combination of things coupled with the fact that my uh, family really placed high value on education has been a through line for my life's work. And I've gone where mission has led me. So I believe in education access and particularly in access to high quality local education. And I say that so specifically because 
many generations of my family had the opportunity to be educated because historically black colleges were available in our city. And I think that you know, as the leader of a minority serving institution, which Franklin Cummings Tech is, you know, it's it's really important that people have access to transformative local education. Most folks who are college educated pursue their education locally. So thinking about the educational choices that I've made really has always been driven by this desire to use my talents and my energy to make sure that the doors of educational opportunity are flung open as widely as possible. My formal education was all gained in Nashville. I graduated from Fisk University and then uh, pursued a PhD in English literature and uh, pursued teaching education and professorship track for a brief while before really kind of taking a, a different turn in a non-traditional academic career, uh, working in nonprofit leadership and management, which is what brought me to Boston in 2005. And I've enjoyed making my life and career here since that time. That's awesome. English literature. So later when we ask about some of your favorites, we want to hear what some of your favorite books are. And then I guess secondarily, <laughs> it's funny you say you're proud of two things. I think there's way more than two things uh, you have accomplished to be proud of. So <laughs> just got to mark that. But as you mentioned, Aisha, you know, higher education has been a real passion for you in your life and helping others achieve excellence is a big part of that. So I wonder if you can talk a little bit about your style of leadership and how you coach and mentor others in order to create a cohesive and effective team in the work you do. Sure. You know, I think that leading by example is really important. There's a saying that there's more that's caught than taught, which means that people are really looking at how you live your life and how you live out leadership values day to day. And so I'm very aware of that. Um, I consider myself a coaching style leader. Formally, in terms of Myers-Briggs, I am a, a INTJ. Uh -huh. uh, so for those of you who subscribe to that, you know, that will tell you something about me, although um will be clear that depending on when I've taken it, I can also be uh, read as an ENTJ. So I'm borderline <laughs> introvert, extrovert. And I think that leadership is collaborative. It's really about the we. And so team building has been a trademark for my leadership success. And I do think we can sometimes underestimate the need to be a talent scout and uh, a coach in terms of building uh, long lasting, high performing teams. So those are things that I think are important and uh, that I've carried with me in terms of being able to take on leadership challenges and opportunities, I'm always thinking about who I'm taking that on with. Aisha, the last couple of years have impacted businesses and community in so many ways, from COVID to issues of social justice, you know, the environment has a great influence on how leaders are navigating and shepherding their organizations forward and growing as leaders themselves. I'm curious how the environment has shifted both how you lead and perhaps how you look at things in business and community for the long term. Well, you're right <laughs> that we certainly have been living through, I think, times of incredible challenge in terms of the world around us. And I think one of the 
things that has resonated with me most in the past few years is the need to lead with even more empathy and to embrace vulnerability, which is, you know, that's a growing edge, I think, for a lot of people, particularly for me. And so I think that the experiences of international pandemic, the experiences of watching a social justice movement that was always alive and but one that really played out in much more visceral and visible ways in the summer of 2020 called on all of us who are paying attention to think more deeply about what it means to be an empathetic leader and how to demonstrate um, genuine care for people's livelihoods, for their lives, and for the things that folks are balancing under times of extreme stress. And what I hope for all of us is that we don't rush back and um, frankly resist the rush to the before times, if you will, and the push to go back to a time of breakneck pacing and work being required to be in person. I think the flexibility that we've learned to live with over the past three years does allow more access and more opportunity. And it should be retained as much as we can in order to expand the workforce and to expand new horizons for people who might have had a disability, for folks who are working parents, for people who want the ability to enjoy a really robust work life, but perhaps don't want to live in the city. So I just think that it behooves us to think about the ways that flexible work and empathetic leadership can stick with us and that what we learned over the past three years um, not be left by the wayside as we are all eager to um, really think about what it means to move on and to move forward, but that we retain those lessons learned. Talking about the changes, particularly in the workforce, is a great segue to talk a little bit more about your college and its own expansion and growth and reach in recent years and your vision for what lies ahead. And I think Carolyn and I would be remiss to not ask for your outlook on the challenges that Massachusetts is facing relative to its workforce, because in a lot of ways that is part of your business. And I know there are a lot of roads that are leading those conversations right to your doorstep. So Share with us a little bit about the college and what lies ahead and your thoughts on the workforce in Massachusetts competitiveness. Absolutely. We have been through a time of considerable restructuring as a, a sector in terms of higher education, but also for Franklin Cummings Tech in particular. We really have prioritized fiscal management, prioritized really and embraced our special focus, which is tech and trade education is related to sustainability. I think, you know, the timing for an investment in sub bachelor's degree education that isn't traditional education, but does carry college credit couldn't be better. Hands down, I think that we can expand the workforce by making people more aware of opportunities for hands-on educational delivery that's done in a hybrid fashion. And that's what we do in engineering technology, in some areas of the trades, which include construction, management, practical electricity, and HVAC. 
And then we also have a stream of work in computer technology. So we're very intentional about the areas that we focus on. We know that we have a really dynamic workforce here in a dynamic corporate sector that is struggling to actually staff up in middle skills jobs. And so that's our area of specialty. And where we have been able to grow has been in terms of making available for people shorter term tracks into the workforce. So certificate education, the Carey's College credit is booming at our college, as well as options for people to work and also go to school at the same time. So these are learn and earn models, what we call learn and earn models that capitalize on flexibility, but also capitalize on the realities that people who are in the demographic that we serve need to work and go to school at the same time. So we really offer the corporate sector an opportunity to meet people where they are and come up with creative options for full-time work or part-time work that also allows people to invest in very specific specific and targeted training that helps them move up in the world and into the middle class. So I think that that special kind of Venn diagram of available jobs that pay well in areas that are perhaps a little bit less traditional for some, but are highly skilled and in high demand. You know, that's where we specialize and that's the work that we do. And because of that investment, we've seen our enrollment stabilize. We've seen uh, incredible philanthropic investments from this community, and we've also been able to maintain an 85% job placement rate. And we have companies knocking down our doors to really try to find the talent that they need. So we're really happy to be in this space and want to do even more work to make more matches to keep the economy humming. That's awesome. Maybe just to tag on to that a little bit, and then I've got another area is perhaps what are you looking forward to in this next chapter for Franklin Cummings Tech? You know, you've got a new name, great philanthropy you've gotten from the community. What lies ahead? We're looking forward to moving. We are building a new campus in the Nubian Square neighborhood of Roxbury. That is a huge opportunity for us. You know, I call it our next 100 years. We've been in the South End in a wonderful space for 19th century education. Really, you know, it was built in 1908. And we're very grateful to have had a wonderful relationship with the neighborhood and to have been doing really good work in that space. But we have outgrown that area in terms of the deferred maintenance on our building. And we're looking forward to having a new neighborhood that in many ways, we already have strong relationships in the Nubian Square area. Half of our students come from Boston and half are from outside of Boston. But those students who do reside in Boston, many of them are from uh, neighborhoods of Dorchester, Roxbury, Mattapan, and Hyde Park. And we're looking forward to being closer to the students who we serve. So the idea and the plan is that that building will be completed in time for fall of 2025. So that's certainly something that we are celebrating in advance. It's been a long time coming and really has been the culmination of a few decades of work by leaders before me and board members before me. But I'm happy to be here to, to see that work come to fruition and very grateful to the city of Boston 
and also to uh, the Cummings, Bill and Joyce Cummings, who've made investments that have underscored the importance of our ability to live out that uh, important strategy, which is to move into a, a new uh, location that's befitting of 21st century tech and trade education. Congratulations. Love the framework of looking ahead 100 years. Let's talk a little bit about some of the changes underfoot in our city and region. What are you optimistic about and what worries you? So we find ourselves faced with a persistent gap of earnings and wealth between segments of our population in this city and not just in the greater Boston area, but really nationally. And so, you know, I think one of the concerns I have is this sense that individualism and hard work will ever close that gap. Those things are important. And what we really need to work toward is systems change that radically alters the playing field and deep investments in post-secondary education, deep investments in high school redesign, frankly, and moving earlier into the high school curriculum and middle school curriculum, the kind of career exploration and really interesting, exciting opportunities to understand the world of work will change things, I believe, in terms of people's ability to see the point and purpose in what we now have is 12 years of school that frankly feels way too mundane and much too disconnected from the realities of life for folks, which I think is why we're seeing a huge drop off. This is not a little drop off, but a huge drop off in college going and college attendance here locally and also across the nation. So we're really um, where that drop off is being seen is in first generation college students, in students of color, the populations who really could benefit most from post-secondary education. So I think that is a, a concern. I am most optimistic about the fact that we do know, you know, how to deliver education in ways that makes the juice seem worth the squeeze. And I do believe that in the greater Boston area where the first in the nation public education was started and where we have so many other innovations that were seated here, that we have the opportunity to be at the front of the pack in terms of figuring out how to turn the corner and really excite folks about um, non-traditional pathways that will help them earn more and and earn their way out of these uh, income gaps through asset development, through entrepreneurship, through business ownership, and through having technical skills that really make folks even more marketable than they would be otherwise. So that's a constellation of things. But you know, I do think that our region has the obligation to invest in not only young people, but people across a spectrum, adults who really want to move into new economy jobs, whether that be biotech or you know the clean tech world, offshore wind, the kinds of things that this region is known for. We can't do that and leave behind entire swaths of our population. And that shouldn't sit right with any of us. And I don't believe it does. I think that there are a lot of folks who are willing to build you know, these coalitions to change that dynamic and rewrite a story. Definitely. And Franklin Cummings uh, really can lead the way for that opportunity too. And I like the way you talk about it being across the spectrum of ages as well. 
So just to get back to you a little bit. So you were one of the Boston Business Journal's 40 Under 40 honorees, as well as you were one of the 2022 Women Who Mean Business. So you've gotten a lot of accolades, well, well deserved. And it's great to have women like you out there uh, in the forefront. So you've done a lot. Your accomplishments are many. I'd love to hear a little bit about kind of what drives you, you know, sort of what's that inner piece that motivates you and that keeps you going forward and continuing to do the great work that you do? Now, that's a good question. I really reflect on the fact that so much of who I am is because of people who have shared themselves with me, who shared whether they were living legends, as you call it, or, you know, family members. There's so many folks in my community growing up who poured into me and really believed in the ability to, they would say the world is my oyster and for me to live into whatever dreams that I set for myself, whatever goals I set for myself and whatever dreams I had for myself. And so that's the framework through which I see opportunities. I do think quite a bit about the world that I want to help create for my children. Um, My daughter is eight. My son is nine. What kind of ancestor do I want to be? And I take great satisfaction in knowing and believing that I'm making the folks who went before me proud. So, you know, I want to leave the world better than I found it. I think that is definitely a driving force for me. And I also believe that if you have access to opportunity, it's the obligation to lift as you climb. It is my obligation to serve in a way that takes up space, certainly, you know, but also leaves even more room for other people to come around me to have a seat at the table and to leave doors open and windows you know, behind me. So that's what I think about a lot as opportunities are placed before me and in terms of the choices that I make with how I spend my time and where to invest. So those are some of the considerations. It's mm, a great point of view. Aisha, we'd like to close with some rapid fire questions. We've gotten a chance to get to know you. This allows our listeners uh, with a lighter touch and a lighter tone, perhaps, to get to hear about some of your favorites in the city and the kinds of things you do when you are off the clock. So off the top of your head, what did you want to be when you grew up? So I am one of those people. I I wanted to be a teacher. I wanted to be an educator. So I'm doing what I wanted to to do. There was a brief period of time. My grandmother was a nurse and uh, I did want to be for a period a nurse. And then I can't remember what shifted, but it reminds me so much that it is true. You want to be what you see. I had this whole family of teachers and nurses, and those are the things that I chose. So I'm just glad that I've been able to be afforded the chance to do that in a really creative way and in lots of different sectors. Well, congratulations. I think you might be the very first guest we've spoken to who has achieved their childhood dream and <laughs> career aspirations. Yeah, absolutely. What are you currently reading or watching? So I am reading a book called Small Island by Andrea Levy, which is about the time after the World War when Europe was rebuilt by people from the Caribbean who were part of the British Empire. I'm also reading uh, The Salt Eaters by Tony K. Bambara. 
and I'm reading a book about uh, leadership, which is called The Waymakers by uh, Tara J. Frank. So I'm a person who juggles several books at a time. And um, so those are the three. I try to keep a couple of fiction books, fiction titles that really fills my cup and a nonfiction or a leadership book in rotation. And um, over the past couple of years, I've been listening to books a bit more than reading. But those three, these three books that I just um, am juggling over the summer, I'm actually reading those in long form. So I'm not going to ask what you Netflix binge on because it sounds like you don't have any time for that. Um, But what what do you do when you're not reading and leading and just having fun? Every once in a while, I do binge watch some things. So I did watch Bridgerton, you know, the prequel. I watched the whole series about Queen Charlotte. I love that kind of thing. But I'm a gardener. I have a vegetable garden and I love perennials. I love to be out in the outdoors. We have wonderful green space in the greater Boston area. So it's, it's fun to explore those with my family. Also, as I mentioned, I'm a mom. So any given moment, there's birthday parties and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, piano lessons and things of that nature. So, you know, life is certainly busy and full and a great joy and pleasure to uh, invest in my kids and really watch them flourish and learn what it is that they have passion for. Well, speaking of being out and about, whether it's at birthday parties, or I think you gave us a hint uh, talking about the green space, what is a favorite spot of yours in the city? Oh, gosh, you know, I do love the Greenway. I think the Greenway is amazing. I love Hyde Park, uh, which is my home in the greater Boston area. The Blue Hills are wonderful. We have amazing urban farms and the farmer's markets on any Thursdays and Fridays. I really do like uh, kind of checking out different farmer's markets, whether it's in Lower Mills, there's one in Roxbury. There's a lot of farmer's markets and, and local farms that I really like to support. And finally, a wish for Boston. One of my wishes for Boston is that people check out the alum of our college and keep them on their radar. We have amazing crop of students currently and former students who are the makers and mavens of the greater Boston area. They're you know, building the world around us. They are keeping your AC and all kinds of other technologies in play and working well. So, you know, I'm excited about them and their future and, you know, happy to be playing our part in making sure that we keep things ticking and support the clean energy promises the states made from electrifying the grid to getting more electric vehicles on the road to building net zero buildings. And our students and alum are at the heart of all of that. And I'm very proud to be leading an institution that has so much connection to the future of this economy. That's great. Aisha, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you all. Take care. That wraps up another episode. I'm Saskia Epstein. And I'm Carolyn Jones, and this is PNC C-Speak, the language of executives. Our guest today was Dr. Aisha Francis, President and CEO of Franklin Cummings Tech. You can find C-Speak at bizjournals.com backslash Boston or on any of your favorite podcast platforms. Until next time.